All right, welcome to the Grill Podcast. I'm your host, John King. Uh, you know, today we're going to be talking. It's January 9th. Uh, we're going to go through a little bit of a fall recap of you know what we saw from I'm going to call it the markets primarily on uh, fertilizer uh, and chemical, and then what we see coming here this spring, and, and talk about the tremendous amount of demand we saw this fall from the from the large uh, uh, weather window we had. And then we're going to really be finishing up. I'm going to bring Dan Bjorkland on, our grill agronomist. And we're going to talk a lot about um, what we're seeing in seed selection as we look to spring of 24, as well as talking a little bit about some of our acre edge products and how they fit in that system um, to help mitigate stress and really our path to consistently looking at 80 bushel beans. How do we get to 250 bushel corn and really provide a ton of, uh, of return on your guys' acres? So, um, you know, that's really what we're looking like on the podcast today. And, and you know, as always, we're going to lead into what I always call the meat and potatoes market update looking at what's happening in the markets and, and driving uh, what we're doing from a crop input side. So, um, you know, the biggest thing, I think the first thing I'll start with is when you look back the past, uh, call it 120 days, I guess, uh, and I'm almost worn out from saying that, but I think we've had uh, the last four months of nonstop work uh, taking place in the fields, which is going to make this spring probably the easiest spring that I've seen, uh, definitely since I've been at Landis, which is crazy to say because we've had some pretty nice uh, easy springs to go through but um, you know we've had one heck of a weather window um, to really take advantage of what's happening in the countryside now um, between when we had a really nice harvest of Roundup as well as uh, you know an, a huge dry fertilizer run a huge ammonia run um, with those things so you know we look back and I look at the numbers at, at Landis you know our overall increase in dry business ammonia business this fall has been pretty significant um, talking to other industry players that they would uh, reiterate the exact same thing. Um, everybody in ag retail and, you know, which deal with the farmers that had very, very robust demand, um, you know, and a lot of it we feel like is not truly bringing all, pulling all spring demand forward. It's just, we had a extremely well run, um, dry application rates were much higher than we anticipated them being, uh, with yields surprising us on corn in a lot of areas. So when we look at overall on the entire portfolio of of what happened this fall for fertilizer, um, the market had a, a very good run. Because of that, you know, really looking at, at phosphates and potash, you know, we had talked a lot about the up uh, upside that we saw in potash and phosphates this fall. Um, that's going to carry into spring a little bit because inventories are so depleted. Uh, retail inventories are depleted. Uh, wholesale uh, inventories are depleted. Manufacturing de uh, uh, supplies are depleted. We're at a point right now where the phosphate uh, industry is completely dry. Um, we're dry at Landis. We got, you know, we're we're trying to scratch and poke for every amount of product we can get to continue to spread with this excellent weather we've had. Um, it's literally, it's January 4th as we're, or excuse me, January 5th as we're taping this and we're going to release it on January 9th. We're still spraying dry today. Fall has not stopped on dry fertilizer and it started basically September 9th when seed corn was coming up. So, um, you know, just the amount of product that we've put down this fall has been purely insane. Um, and I, I know between me and a lot of our, my coworkers, we're, we're ready for a small break in the action to get after it this, this spring so we can get regrouped with supply and, and, uh, manage our logistics a little bit better because it's, it's been a gauntlet for sure. So when you look at that, you know, the phosphate inventories are completely depleted. Um, you know, I was fully anticipating those prices to reset further for spring application, they're not. Uh, they're quite frankly, they're just not going to reset to the degree I thought they would. Um, they've come off maybe a little bit um, from the highs of fall, but 
Um, when you look at the true supply situation domestically, there's no reason for them to go down. Um, when we look out further past this spring application, when you look at March, April application, you know, that's where I think the, a lot of the opportunity for the U.S. farmer is going to be again for, um, for prices to really reset. You know, we've had the countervailing duties be on phosphates be completely changed to now where Moroccan phosphates, who is really the world leader in phosphate supply, um, they're now only going to be duty. They went from 19% to 2%, I believe it was, or something like that. I mean, it was a drastic cut in their overall duty percentage. Um, we're going to see those tons start coming to the United States that we haven't seen in a long time. Um, that's going to allow us to really start looking at um, some opportunity to have excess supply of phosphates. Um, but it won't be anything drastic, you know, and it won't be anything sizable this spring. Uh, so that's something to look forward to. When I look at potash, you know, as, as it relates to spring, potash is a very flat market. Um, I would say inventories on potash uh, were depleted, but they started off fairly high. Um, most of you all saw that with your, you know, your initial price point on potash this fall as a very aggressive price point. Um, you know, I think that, I don't think we get back there for spring application, but, you know, you start adding up interest and carrying costs from, you know, applying it this fall to spring. It's going to be a very relative cost per acre for potash this spring as it would have been for if you would have put it down this fall and borrowed the money at 8% interest. So, um, you know, overall, you're not missing out on anything that just maybe slight difference in, in phosphorus pricing. So, you know, those are the big two I look to spring that I'd be aware of. Um, you know, when I look to next fall, just as a, you know, I always like to kind of give some forecasting. You know, I think overall input pricing year over year is going to be very similar. Um, I don't see a whole lot of changes. You know, I think the biggest thing as a U.S. farmer now today, you start looking out D24 crop futures, D25, which is, you know, a scary thing to market this far ahead. You know, you know you're going to have 150 to 200 dollars an acre of input cost, uh, variable input cost between dry fertilizer, um, um, nitrogen, and your crop protection products. You know, for the life of me, I can't see any huge downswings in prices from what we saw this fall, but I don't see any upswings. I think prices are going to trade within a very relative band to what that was um, this past year. So you start looking at you know, your averages of anywhere from $140 to $170 an acre for, for P&K and ammonia. Um, as we look to next, you know, I know that's hard to think about. That would be the crop you're going to plant spring of 25. Um, but I really don't see a whole lot changing um, globally right now uh, with pricing, overall pricing uh, trends and, and what we saw this year. Um, you know, obviously the war in Ukraine is it's still happening. It's still ongoing. Anything can happen there at any time. Um, the conflict in Israel, you know, anything could happen at any time and change those things. But they're all geopolitical things that can change the market. Um, fundamentally, when we look at the markets from a fertilizer supply point, um, not a great economic standpoint, but from a fertilizer supply point, you know, the market looks very balanced um, throughout the, I would call it the next calendar year, which is very advantageous for the U.S. farmer and overall input prices. Um, the biggest watch out, obviously, is you know, when I, when I look back to what we've done this fall and how much products we have put down, uh, we fill heavy corn acres. Um, anytime you have a big fall like this, you get as much ammonia down as we did. Um, you, you, you tend to believe that there's going to be a few more corn acres out there than what we originally initially thought. Um, you go drive by any bean field that feels like in the state of Iowa and it's got scratch dirt on it ready to go for ammonia. And there's a lot of corn on corn acres out there that have already got scratch dirt ready to go to ammonia. So, um, you know, those are the big things I would say as a watch out for the U.S. for especially for our growers 
um, is make sure you are working with our marketing team here on unsold bushels this year, as well as bushels for uh, marketing for DSA 24. Um, it feels like corn, you know, obviously there's some South American weather happening right now that is, is, is holding the corn market in there today. But, you know, it just feels like in general, we're, we're going to have a few more corn acres around here than we really planned. And that's just a pure function of how easy this, this fall was to get through from a, from field work. Uh, most of the farmers, again, listening, and I'm sure you're all smiling when I say this, when you can get out there on April 10th and you've got, you didn't have to work very hard from a field standpoint, try to get your fields ready to go start planting corn and you're pretty rejuvenated, refreshed, ready to go plant. Usually tens, you, you're going to put an extra 80 into corn, an extra 160 into corn. So um, those are some things I think is a watch out, you know, especially as we look to not even so much spring inputs, but, you know, really when we're looking at 25 inputs is, you know, what what are you doing for marketing forward? What are you thinking about for covering input costs? If you got, you got acres that you know are going to go to corn um, that you're going to spend some money on, um, those are some things I would be thinking about a little bit. Uh, you know, the nitrogen side of the market, you know, the urea market's pretty flat. We've bottomed out here um, the last 60 days. Uh, I, I think we've definitely put a, uh, a floor in the market that's going to be pretty unbreachable uh, from an import side. We're probably only going higher from here. Um, so, you know, I think those are that's a good product to be looking at positioning yourself for because um, we are way behind on import pace. We're not a competitive market globally today. Um, so we're going to at some point have to pay up to, to attract some imports. And uh, that's probably going to lead to higher prices in spring. The other one I would say is UAN. Um, you know, UAN markets kind of ebbed and flowed. Uh, it was really, really aggressive when they came out with summer fill. Um, it got high due to, you know, where ammonia went to and, and some kind of scares at EU gas uh, situation that have really come off now. I think UAN is is going to be at a point now where it's pretty well flat uh, throughout the rest of the year, but there's virtually no downside on that um, until you get to side dress. I don't see a whole lot of competition coming there. When you look at retail price spreads, UAN is still a very competitive product priced versus ammonia. Um, you know, today with where the ammonium price is, I can't say if I was looking at the other two, or if I was trying to choose between the two, I would be, you know, jumping on ammonia versus UAN if I didn't have stuff bought. So, you know, that just tells me that there's probably some more uh, wholesale downside on ammonia. The problem with that is there's no, um, the U.S. producers have no incentive to de decrease ammonia prices today because they have zero inventory. Um, and when I say that is when you think about it, we were still running ammonia two and a half weeks ago here in central Iowa. There is, there is literally no incentive whatsoever for them to go take ammonia, you know, take ammonia prices down until they absolutely have to. Um, if for some reason they do not see any spring demand in season, that could happen. But really what we're setting ourselves up for is, um, uh, spring demand is probably going to be light on anhydrous primarily because we just had such a huge fall. Um, what this is going to do is set up for the people that haven't bought, or excuse me, that are, are looking at, you know, again, corn next year or 25 crop. Um, the system is going to be very full this summer. We're going to come into the next fall, extremely full. The price point on fall gas next fall um, from a su fundamental supply standpoint is going to be at a very advantageous price again. So, you know, when I look at those things, that's really what the market's telling me right now is it's not so much a depiction of how cheap spring ammonia is going to get because I don't think it's going to get a whole lot cheaper just because there's there's no reason for it to. It's more of demand's not going to be justified enough to completely empty the season this spring again. 
it's really going to help for when we look at those reset prices um, come next summer and next fall. Uh, with that too, I would say, you know, when you're looking at it, um, you know, the chemical, obviously chemical pricing is out there. There's been a lot of it out there for the last uh, 60 days. Um, it's a very competitive market this year compared to last year um, with the overall pricing. You've got glyphosate, glufosinate, clethidum, bifenthrin, generic uh, generic quilt, straight as oxy, um, you know, your metallochlors, some of your acetochlor products. I mean, everything is down substantially, substantially from about two years ago and even a year ago. Um, there's a lot of dollars being brought, or excuse me, a lot of dollars per acre being brought back to the farm um, from overall chemical devaluation. So make sure that you're aware of it, understand where, where you're seeing that. Um, you know, one thing I would challenge everyone to, and I, I would say I've seen it a lot early on from what we've had sold uh, prior to the end of the year, uh, I were seeing a lot of growers take advantage of the lower priced environment on crop chemistry and using some of that money to go upgrade their overall nutritional program. Um, so what's I, what do I mean by that? They're, they're able to take, if they're, if they're cutting $10 an acre out of their uh, program from last year, $15 an acre out of the program from last year, they're taking half that money and reinvesting it with a crop lift like that we're selling here at Landis in the Acre Edge portfolio side. Um, for me, that's a, that's, that's a great way to get to what we're looking at with 80 bushel soybean yields, um, 250 bushel consistent corn yields. Um, we're seeing a lot of that, and I, and I think that's a great way to spend those funds on products that you know um, serve a value from a nutritional standpoint or providing a superior weed control. Uh, even with the, the the drastic cut in overall prices, especially in the generic market, we're still seeing some some people continue to look at um, the value added branded side on on especially on the bean products to make sure that they're going to really uh, knock down the water hemp on that. And I think that's a great idea as we look forward to this year to manage weed control um, and provide solutions on the farm. So, you know, with that that that's my big roundup right now. My kind of my podium speech. You know, again, just to recap it. When we're looking to spring for you know spring fertilizer prices, you know we have them out today. I think they're overall going to be fairly uh, flat through the rest of the spring. I don't see a whole lot of downside uh, from where we're priced at today, uh, unless it would be if it is anything, it's going to be very moderately. Um, we're not changing dollars per acre by five to ten dollars an acre cost situations. It's it's a dollar or two if it really were to come down. So um, you know, really good opportunity there for for, uh, you know, people that haven't booked inputs, you know, look at getting that locked in, look at getting your plan together. Um, we're going to have the opportunity, you know, albeit we missed some snow next week, uh, to really be able to go out and continue to spread dry fertilizer and get everybody ready for spring to go out and have a successful planting season. And then with that as well, you know, continue to work with your Landis agronomist or your, or your Landis, uh, account lead, uh, whether it's an account lead locally or grow agronomy specialist or a strategic account lead, on those chemical programs, there's a ton of opportunity there um, to really put yourself in a great cost position with a phenomenal weed program and also look at some value-added products that can provide um, nutritional value and, and improve overall yields. So with that, we're going to take a small break. I'm going to bring Dan up here and we're going to get into seed selection for 24. All right. As always, uh, for one of my favorite parts of the, of the podcast, we got my man Dan Bjorklund, our grow agronomist, uh, with us here again today. Um, we're going to do a little bit of recapping and primarily talking about seed selection um, and how that really, uh, what we saw in 23 from the stressful environment and then looking toward 24, you know, what should growers be really ready to be looking for? And then 
um, you know, with all your detective work you did this summer. And um, one thing I would really challenge everybody listening, um, Dan's got a little bit of a series that he's going out in, our, in the countryside and talking a lot about soybean manage- management, especially high-yield soybean management. Make sure you get to those meetings. Um, they're going to be a great resource for you and your operation for 24. So, Dan, give us the low down and dirty on 24 seed selection. Well, first, I, let's talk soybeans first. Okay. Looking at 2023, man, it was stressful. Yes. And the way that I like to phrase this is that each field has a field stress load. It's not one stress, like as sudden death syndrome, or sometimes even two stresses like soybean cyst and It's a combination of three or four. And if you can figure out a way to identify what they are, and that's why we did the detective work, and then figure out a way to eliminate those stresses, that's how you get yields up towards 80 bushels. That's basically our, our theme. And a key part is variety selection, because most of the varieties that we have out there have different levels of resistance or tolerance to stresses like soybean cyst nematode, white mold, sudden death syndrome. And so first of all, we got to identify on a field by field basis. And guys, the only way you can do that is work with your Lannis right. account leads. They know your fields and work working with you. So take each field and this year, look at what yields did I get? And what probably contributed to maybe where I where I wanted to go, and we had that yield gap uh, of of missing that out, because we've got some great opportunities not only for variety selection, but then we've got some acreage products that we can go on top of that and help mitigate stress. And that was one of the things that that we saw. So there's so much to talk about, but you know when I look at soybeans and when I look at variety selection, the big one this year was soybean cystine nematode, right? So I want to look at a variety that's got good resistance. And what we're seeing right now is the peaking source of resistance is just holding up and held up in, in plot data and field trials much better than the old resistance that we've used for 30 years called PA8870. So when you're looking at those peaking varieties, and that's, you know, it's funny because not only, I'm, I almost think you started the trend because now... Um, you know, whether I've talked to other dealers that sell Pioneer, um, that sell other different kind of varieties, a lot of people all of a sudden have, are really pushing their growers that way. Um, I know, you know, even on our family farm, we still plant, uh, some Pioneer seed corn and, and beans and believe it or not, that's their key beans this year are those Peking beans. Um, so when you look at the Bravant lineup, you know, where that's a lot of the, the different varieties right. that we're also looking at. So if you had to pick three varieties so give me a give me your key three varieties that i would call in central iowa people need to be looking at a bravat 202 which is a a, a 2-1 maturity has been great the last two years in the stress and as we saw cysts starting to build uh bravat 243 which is a 2-4 and bravat 272 which we identified last year yes that hits really three key um uh, maturity zones and all three of those did fantastic. There was also a Stein, a 21E72, that we've shown actually some of um, the results of some field trials where it was like green strip to the oh, field. okay, yeah. And 10 bushels better than the one right next to it. Right next to it. The, the, I would, so I'd put those four okay. uh, are the ones that come to mind. There are, there are more and more varieties becoming available because what has happened is that as we went to enlist and as we went to extend, as we went from 
the old Roundup Ready 2 beans to these new beans, what the companies had to do is they had to get that genetics incorporated with peaking in it. And it just takes a little while. Right. And you're getting that now. So I'd say from, you know, from now on, we're going to have newer varieties every year. But those that we just talked about really have performed. And I think the 2.4 and the 2.7 have been around even yeah. before last year. Yes. And, you know, we've seen pretty consistent uh, production levels out of those beans, um, you know, especially in the areas where, you know, it seems like kind of that, you know, you're from Fort Dodge, that whole right. area around there that's really been hit hard with that. Um, we've seen a lot of, I would say, an excessive amount of success in those areas. Um, you know, I think it landed us, you know, our primary brands we're going to carry is Bravon soybeans, uh, Zatabo soybeans, Stein, and NK. Um, you know, those are all four companies are going to offer a lot of really good varieties um, for sure. And, and make sure that you're working with um, your local account lead on on what we do have to offer. And then as well as obviously everybody's got the ability to get a hold of Dan. There's one thing that I know about Dan. He loves talking about soybean varieties, genetics, the opportunity, um, and that's why he's going around the countryside um, this month and really talking about how do we high, uh, how do we manage beans more like we're managing corn? You know, how do we how do we shoot for 80 to 100 bushel beans? And I think that's something. You know, we continue. We need to we need to make beans fun to grow again. We do. Um, and you know, every year we try to give some predictions and not that we're trying to throw red flags necessarily but we're 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 looking at what we saw last year and we're trying to say okay this might be a watch out on soybeans i'm going to do that right now this is the first time we talked about it um might mention at some of these meetings that uh that you talked about that we're having on on soybeans but we have used the same source of resistance to a root fungus called phytophthora root rot for about 30 years and I noticed that, and it was a dry year, and that usually is a fungus that's in a, in a wet year, but started seeing a little bit of that uh, creeping in. So I think that is a disease. When it rains again, John, and it's going to rain again. It will rain again. Uh, we'll get, we're going to get our 25, 30 inches of rain. Um, that's uh, also something that we're going to need to look at variety, resistance, and tolerance. And, and, and again, account leads can, can help with that. Um, we have used the RPS1K, and I don't like to throw all these numbers out. Uh, and They're on the tech sheets, though. It, it is. Um, yep. There are some other genes um, that are um, are out there that, with Phytophthora, you get you really get two ways to measure it. You get the specific gene, and then they have a little column called field tolerance, and that means that when you're out there, the beans either got it or they didn't, or how well they tolerated it. I would look at both levels. Guys, is you got your specific uh, resistance, but the field tolerance is going to be important. So I throw that one out. We'll be talking about that next summer. Seed treatment is another maybe way to manage it. So looking at our seed enhanced brand of, of seed treatments, which, um, you know, really when you're looking at anything, that's going to be a fungicide type of application. So in all of our uh, seed treatments, you're going to be able to get good uh, action on that. As and well. I, I really believe that I would go with the enhanced brand yes. um, for that because you're going you're gonna to pick up several fungal diseases, not only Phytophthora, but you're going to pick up uh, Rhizoctonia, which um, yeah, we're not going to go into in-depth on it. That's for the soybean meeting. We're, right. We'll do that. But um, that's how you're going to uh, protect yourself. And um, we start getting, you know, we get rain this spring and we start getting what has happened before. It's going to make it more and more important on the seed treatment 
that you choose to use. No, I think that's I think that's key. And I, you know, again, I think it's it's important, and I think it's an important thing we continue to talk about. Um, you know, how do we manage beans differently? Everybody is very aware of this scenario with uh, renewable diesel and what that looks like for bean oil. We've got a bunch of demand coming to Iowa for beans, and the growers in Iowa are going to be one. It's not that they're going to be called on to grow more beans. They're going to be called on uh, to be growing more beans on the same amount of acres that they have today, right. right? It's not like we're adding acres to go put beans on. We have to increase yield. So we need 80 bushel beans. We, we don't need 80 beans. bushel beans to justify. I talked to two growers um, that I know pretty well uh, in the area and um, just talked to one this morning and they were over by Hampton in a drier area and had bean yields going in the 70s, mid 70s. Mm -hmm. And it was variety selection uh, that did that. Also, in some cases, it was corn on corn that went to beans. Yes. Talked to another grower in the Boone area that had three fields that went 80. With corn on corn switched over. How do we make rotated acres, when you go to beans and rotated acres, where it's only one year of corn, how do we make that seem like five years of corn? I think that's where variety selection comes into play to reduce stress. Acreage product. Yep. That's, that's how we're going to do it because not everybody, we're not going to get enough acres that have been continuous corn for five to 10 years and switch to beans and get there. We can do it with rotated acres um, by having a comprehensive system approach. And we'll, we're going to talk about that. Already. Yeah. And I think, and I think that's the value with what we're doing with acre edge is it's really looking at the, we're looking at the bean acre and saying, all right, in each of these segments, how are we looking at expanding yield or right. minimizing yield loss, right? And it, it really is a systems approach to looking at that. And the exciting thing is, is again, being on year one, it's every year we're going to get yeah. a little bit better with what we know, how we're manufacturing the products, how we're placing them, um, you know, and, and that's what's going to create a lot of fun. And you pair that up with a premium genetic uh, recommendation. I mean, all things are good from there. So, well, okay. So, Dan, so we covered beans. All right. Any more you got on beans? Nope. Take me through corn. Okay, corn, I'm, it's still about tar spot. Yep. And we had more tar spot yield damage in the southern part of the state where we had more rain in areas this year, whereas, you know, two years ago it was, north, yep. it was northeast Iowa. The thing is we've got the inoculum in all 99 counties. Mm -hmm. And what makes me concerned about tar spot is the fact that when you get the right environment with more rainfall, and the, and the temperatures that really favor that, that development, you can take corn out in 21 days. So you get it in the first part of August, and we haven't had a fungicide treatment. You get to the end of and we saw that two years ago. We saw 50 bushel differences, John, with guys who had not, you know, uh, uh, gone and used uh, a fungicide. So the first thing that you do with tar spot selection is pick a hybrid that's got a good tolerance. And there are differences. The last two years, we've seen dramatic differences. We've had videos on it. We've shown visually what that looks like. The second thing is then protect it with really good, uh, solid fungicide program. And why I like the variety tolerance situation tied into that is that it buys you more time. If you've got your favorite racehorse superstar, but it gets it early and, and, and very intense, we may not have the time to get all right. those acres covered. So we need that balanced approach. But tar spot still is number one stress factor for 2024. You know, and I, th I think the biggest thing is, you know, we actually had some really good plot data come out of 
uh, Farnaville on our corn and yeah. corn plot with um, overall fungicide performance. One thing I can tell you is fungicide pays. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. Literally, you should be on every acre every year. Yep. We had almost 20 bushel increase over the check on um, on Valtima. You know, and really when we talk about that, we're not, that's not one check in the field. That's a, that's a, I think it was 65 acres right. trial with, uh, that we flew, we droned it all on, but it was replicated all the way across um, the field. And, you know, we also did some with different hybrids in there. Now, overall hybrid uh, response to, to that as well. So, I mean, it was a very, in, you know, complicated plot that produced a lot of good information. But one thing we can tell you is there's no doubt that that, uh, we actually had a biofungicide in there that e that even showed 10 bushel uh, yield. So, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that I think, um, you know, as we look to the market, you know, prices again on crop protection stuff, uh, products, you know, I would say the fungicide market's up slightly. I mean, it, it's a lot less than I even thought it was going to be um, for branded premium products. Um, when you look at like a generic quilt or something like that, it, I mean, in my opinion, it basically feels like it's free today. Right. Um, it's extremely cheap. So, you know, you look at some of these different markets and the ability to price products relative in them, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for the farmer to get, out, get crop health out there. And I think that's the key. You know, John, something that um, Scott Aaron Hortz uh, covered yesterday in our first meeting, um, uh, when we were talking, it was soybean management, we got into a little bit of corn because we were talking about um, our new uh, crop power product on, on Acre Edge. And there was a field where um, the product was used and, and an untreated check, and you can see the difference in the tar spot development. And then the yield followed uh, through with that. When I'm, when I'm thinking about the system approach, when you're looking at corn, so we're looking at a hybrid selection, we're looking at the fungicide. The thing about these products that we're bringing on through the acre edge is it's almost like you're getting this immune boost to that plant, sort of like we've got a lot of flu going around, we've got a lot yep. of things going around, and if your immune system is at its peak shape, you have a better chance to fight that off and not get hit as hard. I think that's one of the benefits that we're seeing with some of these new products because it was very, very visually different. I know it was just one field, but um, pretty amazing when you see that. Well, okay, I'm going to use this analogy. We were just talking about this before we started the podcast, but my family has been, we've been going through the flu bug and my wife got it. And we, she went and got an IV from one of these places now that do that, yep. you know, at, uh, at their own little store. You know, when I think about like crop lift and how it affects the, um, you know, the plant from a stress mitigation standpoint, right. it's just like getting, it's like us going to the doctor to get an IV. What do they, yep. what do they put in there? Multivitamins, uh, minerals, uh, nutrients, uh, maybe some prescription medicine, right? So like we do it as humans. We do it with animals all the time, right? We get sick animals. First thing we want to do is treat them and get them healthy. You know, I think when we look at crop lift um, specifically or, you know, our crop power technology, it's kind of like getting an IV or, a, you know, a Molotov cocktail to get you really going and making sure that your immune system is staying clean and that your energy level is there to fight off uh, different uh, things. And I think that's a great way of putting it in very relatable um, on what we're doing with a lot of the acre edge stuff is it's, we have to think about it again, a systems approach of crop health. And when people think about crop health, you have to think about it almost like your own health or your animal health. You know, you don't want a bad day for that crop. What was interesting yesterday when we were talking about uh, crop lift, a couple of different times uh, in the meeting, um, people uh, ask, well, how does how is this compared to like a pivot bio? Yeah. And what 
what it made me think is that, okay, we all know that there's this big biological market. And we had podcasts before talking about yep. how it's the wild, wild west. We need to make sure that we explain to people that crop power, crop lift is a, a microbial byproduct. Correct. It's not the microbes that are either, you know, the live microbes. Um, and everybody that's watching this has used biologicals because soybeans. Soybean is a biological inoculant. But the problem with that inoculant was that we were always concerned, how do we keep it alive right. long enough to, and it's the same thing. What I like about using crop power and crop lift is that the shelf life is, is it's endless. Correct. Because it's, you get the benefit of what the microbial activity was, but it's the extract from it. Correct. It's it's a chemical, a stable chemical that people are, are used to that you can actually use with your post products. And to me, we're going to try to explain that to make sure people, because it's such a confusing market. You it is very live biologicals. You've got the the, the 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 biological stimulants, the extracts, um, and then you've got another guy ask about plant growth regulators. Totally different yeah, in looking at that that market. So it's on us, and that's why we want people to come to our meetings because we will go in depth and actually explain. You know, we want to continue to educate with what we're yeah. doing. And you know, I think about it all the time. Is you know, there's just a, the the biological market continues to grow because it's so fast. It's so it's you know, it's a low barrier of entry. There's a lot of people that are really trying to get into it. Um, you got a lot of mainstream companies. You know, nobody would have thought 10 years ago that Mosaic would Mosaic company would be in the biological market, uh, maybe even Corteva, you know. So, you know, you have these companies that are entering it because there's a huge amount of value to their company, to their growers, to their products they're already selling. So, well, John, look at the yield. Um, you know, we, we did the Farmville research right. and, and very positive results, ROI results. Uh, that were positive. And then we had people that were using the products and they were EXP compounds. They weren't even named yet. And we had positive results right. uh, on corn up to 14 bushels on every single time that we did this on soybeans. We had a lot of five to seven right. results. Um, and it's cost less than half a bushel to, for, for one application right? when you're looking at soybeans. So when you're looking at stress mitigation, I mean, this this really is- It's, um, it's like an insurance policy. It really is. It's an insurance policy, but really what it is, it's it's your daily multivitamin. It's it's yep. a way to provide consistent crop health to your, to your crop. So you know, so we talked about, you know, variety and hybrid selection, and that'll always be the, the first case. And then we'll build that system up to using um, uh, these newer products um, uh, like, uh, like Crop Lift. And um, we are going to get, it's going to be fun to see this over the next few years of how we see more and more yields approaching field average consistently of 80 bushels, and it doesn't have to be after five or six years of corn. Right. We can do it at a rotational. We can basis. create it every year. Yep. Okay, to finish this out, two hybrids that you like for this year, Uncle. Um, I really like, on the Bravant side, um, um, I like all uh, 6Y18. Yep. Uh, we saw it two years ago because um, of tar the power spot. Uh, uh, tolerance. Very consistent um, product. Just a, a, a fantastic um, uh, product. And I also like um, a 13K20, yep. which is the the one three. And I'm going to tell you that um, my nature is such, you know, I'm this summer will be my 45th year uh, out here looking at fields and being agronomist. The reason I picked those two hybrids is because I remember in my first years back in the 80s going with 
just strictly racehorses because whatever won in the plots and then having a different year come in and then I have to walk out in the field when that corn is, is flat, all falling over. Um, I really, really got tired of getting chewed out with that. The nice thing about those two products is that in the years where you get over 250, they can get to those levels, but they got a nice offensive defensive combination. So we've got some some racehorses in there, and there's some products that um, we had a one four this year yes. that just was was dominant. I would include those, but I include it in a portfolio combination of offensive. No, I love that, and I I know exactly what you're talking about because we're planting some of it on our family farm. <laughs> And I'm looking forward to seeing how it turns out. But, uh, you know, as always, Dan, I love having you on the podcast and, and love the the leadership you provide, especially around the soybean um, message. So for those of you locally that are listening, uh, make sure you ask your local account lead, your relationship specialist about when these meetings are happening. There's a ton of good information. Um, and then we'll probably look sometime maybe uh, feb around February to provide something uh, digitally as well. Yeah. Maybe some voiceover of the presentation that, that Dan's providing as well, because it is it's a lot of good stuff to look at, and you've got a ton of good research data from Iowa State right. on the stuff that they've done. So, you know, really what we're talking about is not out of school with what our, our right. major universities are finding as well. So, you know, those are great, impactful things. And, you know, the biggest thing we look at at Landis is, you know, not only are we an agronomy company, we want to provide you agronomy inputs, solutions for your farm, but we're a great grain company. Um, and we want to be, we want to make sure whether you're planting our hybrids, or somebody else's, we want to make sure that you're producing as many bushels as possible um, to bring into the elevator in fall or putting your bins at home um, and, and create a great opportunity for yourself. So with that, um, as always, appreciate you coming on, Dan. Sure. And, uh, and, and for all those of you listening, thank you again for always listening to the podcast.